For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you are consumed by one another. In other words, you can destroy one another with your words. So if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you yourself, lest you consume one another. So let's talk about this for a minute. First of all, he's having a conversation there in Galatians with the church about the issue of circumcision. For them, coming uh, from a history of Judaism where every male child was circumcised and, and where this was the... the um, picture of righteous living and of cleanliness and of godliness. Now that Christ has come and he's died on the cross and he's resurrected and, and there's this whole new uh, view of, of spiritual things, they're looking at this subject and they're saying, uh, in Christ, do we still need to be circumcised? And they were just having the argument among themselves. Do we still need to kind of, is, is there some things there in the law that we perhaps should be uh, embracing and holding to and some things in in that old, uh, those old instructions, ceremonial, when, when, when he talks about us being free from the law, he's talking about those ceremonial processes that they had to go through in order for the high priest to be cleansed and prepared and in order for the people to be prepared to come in, to, to be approachers of God. And so he's saying to them, all of those ceremonial things that we used to do, all of those things kind of culminated in their mind on the issue of circumcision. And so they're having this discussion about, in Christ, do we still need to have circum the, the, the act of circumcision? Are we still responsible to follow after these things? And the apostle says to them basically this. Let me summarize what he said for you, what, what, what he said to them. If Christ was not enough... Jesus went to the cross, he shed his blood, and he died for us, and he's been resurrected, and he's seated at the right hand of God at this point. So they're, they're in hindsight looking back at the sacrifice of Jesus, and suddenly the apostle says to them, wait a minute, if you still need to be circumcised to walk with God, then Christ avails you nothing. You remember we read that? So he says to them, if you need the work of the cross and anything else to make you right with God, to make you stand in, <clears throat> stand in righteousness, if you need anything else in addition to what Jesus has done, you've fallen from grace. I want you to say this, Jesus is enough. We have to start there because that's where this conversation starts. This conversation about needing the cross and something else to be whole and to be complete and to be made righteous was the context in which uh, the conclusion comes, faith works by love. So I don't really want to talk to you about all these other things, but if we don't lay this foundation, we'll, we'll end up back here having this discussion again. Jesus was enough. The cross was enough. When he died on the cross 
And when he shed his blood for you, when you receive the work of the cross uh, for the forgiveness of sin, the cross is enough. So he says, ladies and gentlemen, you have great liberty. In fact, he's going so far as, to, he, he goes so far as, I love this passage, and I have, you know those scriptures you have a love-hate relationship with? This is one of them. Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient or uplifting. Not all things are healthy. All things are lawful. It's not about, so, so the Apostle Paul was bold to say, it's not even in, in all things, it's not even about right and wrong anymore because we are made righteous in Christ. It's about, is what you are choosing healthy? Is it strengthening to you or is it weakening your life? Is it building you up or is it tearing you down? So the Apostle Paul says, I'm not having a discussion in my own mind any longer about right and wrong. The discussion I'm having is, is this good for me or not? Is this good for my community? Is this good for my family? Is this good for the environment that I'm living in? Is this good for the people around me? And then he goes on to tell them in that context of that conversation, he goes, you have great liberty. Now, don't use your liberty at the expense of someone else. greatest tragedy of life for the believer is to realize that some decision I've made, some poor choice that I've made becomes stumbling for another believer. I think that is probably more tragic. I think when, when we stand before the Lord, the things that, you know, the Bible says he wipes away all tears. I think some of the things that I'll be crying about is the thing when I realize that the choice, choices that I've made that have caused others to stumble that have caused others' faith to be weakened. The Bible tells us to be careful about this. So then he goes on to tell us in, uh, in that second portion of Scripture that we, through love, serve one another. If we get the understanding that faith works by love, suddenly there comes a challenge in us to move through love in everything that we do. I'm reminded of, of, uh, of Jesus' ministry on the earth and, and time after time in the New Testament when you look at what Jesus was doing when he was ministering to the sick, when he saw someone who was broken, when he saw someone who was hurting. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. I want, I want to challenge you this morning. Jesus' faith worked by love. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Righteousness is by faith. We learned that there in verse 5. Righteousness is by faith. Well, we all know, and, and, and uh, I'm going to just visit some scriptures that we're not looking at this morning, but, but you can look them up later and you can see if I'm telling you the truth or not, that the scripture says faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. This is why we love the teaching of the word. This is why a believer begins to love the reading of the word. This is why when you have a conversation with, with Joya about how she got uh, uh, in a passionate relationship with Jesus, she'll tell you, I was delivering pizza. I bought CDs with the word of God on them. I put them in my car. And as I drove down the road at work, I listened to the word of God over and over and over again, over and over again. I heard the same thing over and over again. I heard the word of God repeated because Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. 
So we decide as a believer, the first thing we're going to do is build our faith. We're going to put the word of God in us. We're going to listen to it being taught. We're going to read the word in our quiet time. We're going to go to connect group and sit around the table and have conversations with other believers about the word. We're going to do all we can to become insatiably hungry for the word of God so that our faith can be built. But then I want to submit something to you. Faith without love is powerless. Faith works by love. If you go down to the car lot and you buy yourself a brand new car and you park it up in your driveway and you never put gas in it, you just sit there and you walk around and you say, oh, what a beautiful vehicle that is. It's so beautiful. Sit, look out there in my garage. Well, well, where's the key? Let's go for a ride. Oh, I can't go for a ride. There's no gas in it. Well, now, how foolish would that be if you didn't take that vehicle and then empower it with fuel and oil so that it could accomplish the, the design for which it is purpose in the earth? Faith is powerless in your life if you have not filled it with love. The power of faith is love. I've often thought, I, I thought about this as, as my heart was preparing this. I was thinking about the prayer teams as they serve up here. And I quite often tell you that these are people of faith. And when you come and when you share your need with them or you talk to them about what you're going through or you ask them for prayer, that they have faith because the word of God is in them and it has been stirred in them. And they have faith to believe with you for, that God will move in, be, in your behalf and meet your need. And I've often, uh, often said that to you and challenged you. Don't leave here the way that you came in, go and see the prayer teams and, and pour your heart out to them and let them pray with you and believe with you. But really, in reality, the reason that they are so good at what they do is because they are moved with compassion. They are full of the love of God. And even if they only have a little bit of faith, they have a lot of love. Faith works by love. And love is the fuel of faith. Faith is empowered by love. Holy Spirit, give us a revelation of this in a new way right here. Without even un unpacking an outline or going into any great detail, Holy Spirit, would you work in our heart? Would you cause us to begin to love differently? Cause us to begin to love one another differently. Cause us to begin to see one another differently. There's this great, beautiful passage in, in, uh, w when the apostles talking to Corinthians about, about uh, communion. And, and uh, he says that something needs to take place among the body of believers. They need to discern the body. What does that mean? That means that we need to, the scripture tells us to know one another after the spirit, that we're supposed to know one another intimately from the perspective of how God sees. You see, if I see, if I see an individual that's in, that's in a, a, a process of constantly stumbling in the same area, I will get cynical in, the, in my flesh. I will tend to get cynical about that individual and say, oh, there they go again. Am I surprised? I'm not surprised at all. 
Oh, they're just going back around the same, same behaviors that they had last year, the same behaviors that they had six months ago, the same behaviors that they the same, uh, the same trap. They're just, staying, they're just staying encircled in the same, same cycle of events, and we get cynical. But when we go to prayer and we pray for that individual and we begin to see that individual the way that God sees that individual because we are seated with him in heavenly places and we can see what he sees. We can hear what he's saying. I remember the times that I've worked in... in, uh, secular vocations and and inevitably how many understand that if you're a believer you are inevitably going to get a job next to somebody that rubs you the wrong way particularly if you're a believer particularly if you love jesus you're going to get put right next to someone that don't like jesus at all and don't like you because you love jesus and all of that or doesn't even know that why they don't like you A lot of times you need to go in for a little bit as a secret agent because they need to find out that you're nice before they dislike you just because you love Jesus. So all of that, there's there's always that individual that that you feel challenged by. And how many times I've worked for a, a, a period of time and I thought, oh Lord, I can't stand it anymore. Get me out of there. Oh Lord, I can't stand this environment. Lord, you've got to change this environment. Finally, the Holy Spirit whispers, when I'm done with you there, I'll move you. And when the Holy Spirit whispers out to me, then I go to prayer and I begin to pray for that individual. Well, I've just found out that when I pray for someone that I would not ordinarily be uh, drawn to at all, when I pray for them, I begin to see them through the eyes of the Father. And I begin to see them the way Jesus sees them. And when I see them the way Jesus sees them, I start loving them. Loving those who I would not ordinarily even in the flesh, choose to be in the same room with. Their personality and my personality don't mix at all. What they like and what I like has nothing in common whatsoever. We don't have anything to have a conversation about. But yet I see the love of the Father in them and I see His desire for them and I see how important they are to Him. And then I begin to see His design in them and I begin to see the image of the Father in them because we were created in the image of God. And when I begin to see his image in them, when you begin to see his image in that person sitting down the row from you today, when you begin to see the image of God in that person that you're working with, when you begin to see the image of Christ in that person, that, that extended family member, you're like, oh Lord, why'd she marry him and bring him into this family, dear Jesus? <laughs> Oh, Lord, I wouldn't have picked to be related to her. Don't look at me like you've never experienced it. I've been to family reunions before. But when we began to have conversations with God first about those challenging individuals who he brings across our path, and we begin to see them the way he sees them, We begin to love them the way he loves them. And suddenly you find yourself loving people you don't like. Well, that's just just theory. 
if you've not practiced it, and the body of Christ is the place to practice the principles of faith. So if you want to learn to love people the way God loves people, you first learn to love them here and, and in your own house. I'm going to tell you something. Maturity for the kingdom of God must come to your house. It must come to your relationships within the walls of your own house. Oh, was that entirely too pastoral? I, saw, I, I felt you gasp, some of y'all. It must, be, it must be by what you're experiencing uh, in, in some of your interpersonal relationships. That's okay. Let me just challenge you this morning. Faith works by love. So you can have great faith. You can be full of the word of God. And, and I'm going I'm to tell you, just, I mean, I've grown up in the church. And so I, I know what it is to have uh, folks that, uh, that are believers that are grumpy and unhappy. And they can have great faith. They can have the gift of faith. But if they have no love, that gift of faith has no power in their life. And the kingdom of God then is not being given expression. The kingdom of God must be given expression. In order for the kingdom of God to be given expression in your life, in order for the kingdom of God to be given expression, you need to first give the kingdom of God expression at home. And I have to start there. You must first give the kingdom of God expression at home. That may come through adjusting disciplines. That may come through enriching the word in your own life but it certainly will not come without love. If you're living in an environment of, let me just say this, Lord, help me right here. If you're living in an environment of constant tension, it is time to let the Holy Spirit come in and work in that situation. And it will only be corrected with love. It's not going to be corrected with laying hands on and casting out and all that stuff. All that has its place. And that all may become appropriate at some point in the process, but it starts with love. I remember one time an individual contacted another individual that I was dealing with and said, I have a word from God for you. And I called that person and said, you cannot prophesy to them until you love them. Bite your tongue. Love first, prophesy later. You cannot bring someone a word from God if you do not first love them. So if there's an individual that, that, that you are feeling challenged with, first of all, you must recognize that God has brought them through your life. And that maybe it's your perspective that needs to change. Oh, Jesus, I'm getting up in your business now. Maybe it's my perspective that needs to change on that individual. I must see them the way that God sees them and allow my faith in their behalf to be motivated or empowered by love. If you ask me, do I have, do, must I have great faith or must I have great love? I'm going to tell you, if you have zero faith, have love. Start with love. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, they asked him the question, what's the greatest commandment? And I love this passage of scripture because Jesus, Jesus just, didn't he have a way of just summing it up, get to the point? I love preachers who can get to the point, albeit sometimes I'm not one. Jesus said, the greatest commandment, he said, let me fix that for you. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, so on. You love God with all that you are. That's the first. You know why? The first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with man's relationship with God. Jesus said, take those four and crunch them together in this. Love God with everything that you are. Just love him with everything that you are. And then he said, the second is much like the first. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how many of y'all love yourself a little bit? I want to help you something. You can't love anybody else if you're all mad at yourself. Get, get that worked out right now. Just get that worked out. Forget those things. I think that, well, there was a word this morning. Forget those things that are behind you. It's time to get that worked out. You got to like, at least like yourself a little bit. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. There's a passage of scripture that, that talks about a man's relationship with his wife. And he says, no man ever hated his own flesh. But he took, he took care of himself. He fed himself, he cleaned himself, he washed himself, he educated himself, he took care of himself, he thought about his goals and he wanted to be successful. No man ever hated himself. So Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. You know why? Those other six commandments and the Ten Commandments have everything to do with the relationship between men, individuals, and the people around them. The kingdom of God is summed up in these two things. Love God with all of your heart and love the people around you with the same kind of love with which you love your own flesh. Man, isn't that deep? But I'm going to help you with something. That is the key to the kingdom. You want the key to the kingdom? Love somebody the way God loves them. Faith works by love faith works by love so he says this is the greatest commandments because it really just takes all those 10 commandments all those 10 you know lawyers took those 10 commandments and they made books and books and books and all the laws and rules and and guidelines and everything lawyers i'm gonna tell you those lawyers we got two of them in here this morning and they just, it really wasn't the lawyers, it was the legislators. I don't think we have any of those guys in here, but the legislators just, they made all these rules and regulations that were birthed out of, out of uh, guidelines that were given in the law. And they just made pages and pages and books and books and, uh, until it was just so convoluted, it was impossible to follow. And it was because God was saying, let me help you with something. It's impossible to follow. You need Jesus. And then here comes Jesus, and he says it really comes down to two things. Do you love God with everything that you are? If you love God with everything that you are, then it becomes easy from that vantage point of loving God with all that you are. From that vantage point, it becomes then easy to love others as you love yourself. So this is the practice ground for this. I love Corinthians, 
when he's talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he goes through chapter 12 all about gifts. We love gifts. We're Pentecostal after all. We're a little bit charismatic around here, kind of crazy that way. We'll prophesy to you in a minute. We'll tell you what we hear God saying because he loves you and we want to build you up. We want you to hear what God is saying about you. So we love spiritual gifts. We love healing. We walk by faith and not by sight. We love words of wisdom and words of knowledge and discernment. We love all of all that that produces in our life. And then he has the audacity to say, but if I speak with the tongues of men and angels and I do not have love, I'm just making noise. I'm just as sounding, I'm just as if somebody got up there and just banged on those cymbals with no rhythm, no direction, no instruction, not appropriately placed in the midst of music, but just bang, 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 noise so that you can't hear anything else. It's that moment when the TV's up loud and the kids are running through the house and all this going on and there's conversations going on and there's so much going on you can't hear anything that's going on. So he says, if I speak with the tongues of men, if I can prophesy so accurately to you that it will light you up, if I can read your mail prophetically, but I don't have love, I have nothing. That's right. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I understand all mysteries and knowledge, if I am a theologian that can understand the lines that are said and between the lines and all the history behind and everything that, was, that happened that brought about the statements that were made in Scripture, if I can unpack Scripture like Leroy, uh, <laughs> if I don't have love, I have nothing. If I have the faith to move mountains, if I have the faith to plow, uh, to plow hindrances right out of your life, but I don't have love, none of that matters. Very interesting experience took place for me, and it was a very somber experience in Amsterdam. Because it's interesting loving people you've never met. It's one thing to, to love somebody you never met because you can say, I love you, God bless you, and you walk on, they never see you again, right? But in your own house, if you're not showing love, it's going to become fairly evident fairly quickly. Yeah. But nevertheless, I was in Amsterdam, and I was with Matt, and we were dropping some of the... Uh, bishops off to for the night and it's 10 o'clock at night on my first night there I'd been up at that point about 30 hours for the most part except for a little bit of sleep on the plane and Matt's phone rings and there's a man connected to the church there whose wife had died and he is a man of great faith and he and his wife had had whole conversations about what was going to happen if she'd been sick for two years. And they had four little children. Very big crisis. And he says, Matt, between now and the funeral, every day, anyone that will come, we're believing that God will raise her up. Would you come? I'm tired, man. I'm tired. I don't want to go pray over nothing. I want to go to bed, right? Matt says, 
speaks to the pastor and me, Anthony, what do you do in this situation? And I said, well, all I know is that when somebody has faith, you get on that line of faith with them and you stand there on that line of faith with them wherever they will stand. But as a pastor, I would have a conversation with that individual about God is sovereign and what God chooses to do in this moment. Are you going to be mad at God later if he doesn't give you your way? It's a good conversation to have, right? If you're asking God for something and God in his sovereignty doesn't give you what you thought you wanted, are you going to be mad at him afterwards or are you going to be mature in this process? And so, anyway, nevertheless, I'm thinking, I thought we're going to a hospital room where this lady had just died and maybe she was on life support or whatever, you know, something to give me a little hope to see this lady raised up, you know? Well, we went to a funeral home where she's prepared for burial. And they have communion, and they have a season of prayer. Now, was I not challenged? Okay, I haven't raised the dead. Mary has, but I haven't. <laughs> so, so I've not had that experience in my life yet, and so I'm, I'm processing all of this. I'm learning all of this while as we go. I'm learning in this experience. Lord, you teach me. You know what he taught me? I don't care if you have faith to raise the dead or not. You can love somebody in a place of brokenness. You can love somebody through their, through their place of great injury and hurt and harm, and you can stand with them on that line of faith, and you can declare uh, healing and miracles and signs and wonders, and you can pray the word of God and, and all of that. And, and so we walk in this room, and here this lady's laid out. Here's her husband and, and his brother, and, and they're standing there, and they're, they're looking at us with wide eyes saying, pray with us, believe with us, believe with us. And I said, I'll believe anything you want. I, I will believe with you. Let us pray. But I'm thinking, what's the, what's the prayer that needs to be prayed here? I, I felt at a complete loss for how to pray. And Matthew steps over next to this lady's body, and he says, Lord, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in the believer. And all of a sudden, the peace of God filled the room. The word of God came through faith, and the peace of God filled the room, and it didn't matter what God decided. It, it really, in that moment, it did not matter what God decided to do. We were going to love some people that were hurting. That's right. And we put our arms around that father and around that brother-in-law, and we prayed together, and we stood on the line of faith, and we, and, and we stood with them and believed with them and asked God to do a miracle if it, if it was within his desire to do a miracle for that lady, that he would do a miracle. Those children would, would have their mother at home. And all of, all of those prayers we prayed. We had communion together. We loved that gentleman. He hugged us. We went on our way. And, and, and throughout that week, at, at that appointed time, various ones went and prayed with that man and stood with that family on that line of faith. And as I understand it, uh, on Monday, when I left, they had a funeral and they buried that lady. It wasn't about that. And I want to help you with those of you that are full of spiritual gifts. It ain't about your gift. It's not about your equipping. It's not about what you have to say. If it's not sitting on the foundation of love. If it's not sitting on the foundation of love if it's not empowered by love, if it's not motivated by the love of God, if when you gather around your connect tables, the, the, the love of God is not in your midst, you're just having conversation. 
But if love is there, even if the conversation is not as deep as you would like it to be, if the love of God is there, there's something empowering of the kingdom of God that's taking place in those relationships and in those environments that are life-changing. Because it doesn't matter how good I am as a communicator of the gospel. If I do not have love. Let me close with this. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now I'd like to just teach the fire out of that. But I think I would rather the Holy Spirit teach you what that looks like. So let me just give you a couple of things to think about. And then you let the Holy Spirit unpack that for you in your prayer time. Would you take this passage of Scripture to your prayer room this week? Would you take this passage of Scripture to to your quiet time with Jesus this week? John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Love one another as I have loved you. My favorite passage of Scripture relating to this is that the Bible tells tells a man to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the best example of this passage of Scripture right here. Love her the way uh, that, that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And quite often and when I'm talking to people who are having uh, marriage challenges and he's like, she won't do this and she won't do that. And I'm like, you ain't loving her like Jesus loved you. That's right. When you love her like Jesus loved you, she'll submit herself to you like she submits herself to Jesus. Get on board, little children, right? So he says, love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did he love us? He died for us. I want God to do something in the area of love in our lives so that we are so committed to one another that we're willing to die to ourselves to strengthen one another. The hardest, probably one of the hardest experiences, I've shared this with you before, and I'm going to share this at this point because I think it's a good reminder. My father was passing away, and I was sitting at his feet, and the phone rang. And those of you that have been here for many, many years, only those of you who have been here many years will, will know Nelson and Betty Peckham, who were intercessors here. Betty had had an aneurysm, and she was dying. The Peckham family called and said, Pastor, we need you. Pastor was sitting at the foot of his own father, who's died. And I remember my wife coming and taking me by the hand and saying, Anthony, you have to go. You can do this. It's time to love others. You can do this in this moment. Hardest, hardest day of my life by far one of the hardest things I've ever experienced to walk out of that room and I said and all I said was father just keep him until I get back just don't let anything happen to him until I'm back here and on my way he hadn't spoken really much of a coherent word in days at that point or in hours and on my way to the hospital to minister to the Peckham family the Lord said Anthony what can I do for you talking to you about loving one another here. 
Lord said, Anthony, what can I do for you? And I said, I want two things. Lord, I'm going to ask you for two things. I want to be there when my dad goes to be with Jesus. I want to be there when he breathes his last breath. If you would do that for me. And I would like to hear him share your word one more time. Now, is that not an absurd request for some guy who's on morphine, laying on his deathbed? So I went and ministered to the Peckham family, prepared them for Betty's passing, helped them through that process. Went back and dad was still there. Betty passed away. The next day, we're gathered at my sister's house and my father's laying there and all of a sudden, from a complete absence of, of his presence in our midst, he says to my mom, Geneva! He calls with the strongest voice we'd heard in days. She was so surprised, she went running down the hall. She said, what do you need? He goes, get me up. I've got to go to the bathroom. And she helped him out of bed, and he got his little walker, and he scooted to the bathroom. He had not been up in days. And he'd come in, and he sat in the chair in the living room, and they got him some soup, and he ate the first thing he'd eaten in days. And he began to prophesy the word of the Lord over his children and over the future of the kingdom of God in the earth. He began to prophesy the word of the Lord. He began to tell us how God was going to move in our generation. He began to talk to us from the word of God. And he said, well, I think I better go lay down now. You've never seen kids gather around Papa's feet faster than we had. In that moment, we sat there for about 20 minutes and he ministered to us. And then he got up and he went and laid down in his bed and that was the last conversation we had with him before he went to be with Jesus. My sister called me, I don't know if it was the next day or the day after, in the middle of the night and said, come, I think dad's getting ready to go and the Holy Spirit, the Lord allowed me to be there when he breathed his last breath. I heard him share the word again and he breathed his last, last breath. God will take care of you if you will love one another. God, your, what matters to you will matter to him if you will learn to love one another as Christ has loved you. It may be the hardest moment of your life that you have to lay down what you want to do so that you can love somebody else, but the kingdom of God is dependent upon the kingdom being given expression out of your life. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you.